Good morning, church. Hello, Charlotte. How are you this morning? Um, my name is Stephen Pollitt. I'm the discipleship pastor here at Gateway. Um, pastor Blake and Sean are on a trip this week, so please be praying for them, that they are, are filled up, that they feel uh, renewed when they get back, and they'll be back with us next Sunday. But I have the immense joy um, for, uh, to be able to have this opportunity um, to be able to dive in to uh, Scripture today with all of you, my brothers and sisters in Christ. So let's pray real quick, and we'll dive into the Word. Lord, I just come before you today, I thank you so much, the opportunity and the blessing that it is um, to be able to come into the house of the Lord uh, with our, our church family, to be able to study your word. Uh, Lord, I just pray uh, through the things that are said in here today, Lord, that, that you become fully known to those that might not know you. And Lord, for those that know you, Lord, that they will be equipped and know you better uh, than when they came here, and that we will serve you and serve you well. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to open up to Matthew 28. We're going to start in verse 16. And so what I want us to do is together, we're going to read 16 through 20. And we're going to, to dive into the Great Commission today. And so I was thinking in all my years, 17 years of ministry, I use the Great Commission often uh, to teach. But it's always typically in supplement to something else. And so I'm so excited today that I get to dive into the Great Commission fully. And we get to explore this text um, together, and I'm so excited. This, this is a rare time that Blake said that, okay, Stephen, I want you to preach, and it's a clear slate. You don't have to, to preach on circumcision uh, this time, uh, and so I did that like three times in a row, and now I've had a couple sermons where I didn't have to teach into that, and he said, Stephen, it's just, it's not part of the sermon series, it's just what God has laid on your heart, and what better for a discipleship pastor to dive into is a great commission, and so I'm so excited uh, to, to dive into this, and so if you'll follow along with me. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age." And so we're going to dive into this text. We're going to, to, to tear it apart verse by verse. But the first thing that I want to point out to all of you guys, in, in, in verse 16, it says that the 11 disciples went to the mountain, mountain that, God, that Jesus had commanded them to go. And so that started thinking back of all my years in ministry, of all my years pursuing Christ. Every single mountaintop experience that I had was followed with the Great Commission. It, it was a command to go and do something different, to go and do something uh, unique. And the, the, the challenge that came with that is following the command of go always led to a valley every single time. And so the first book in is you see the 11 disciples meeting Jesus on a mountaintop. At the mountain, they're having an experience that they'll never forget. The resurrected king is with them. And in verse 20, the second part of that book, and he says, I'm with you to the end of the age, where we experience Jesus on the mountaintop when he gives us his command and we're in awe of who he is and we feel filled up with the joy of knowing who he is. It's an amazing feeling. Being a student pastor, I had those every single summer when I had the opportunity to go to summer camp with our students. 
And now I'm jealous that, that, that Taylor gets to do those things all the time. But now I get to have my mountaintop experiences with you. And every single time, God was giving me a command to, to go, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. But leaving that experience led to valleys. But the thing that I love about this book in, in verse 16 and verse 20 is that I'm, I'm, you're, you're going to meet me on the mountain. And you're going to do amazing things. But in the midst of doing those amazing things, it's going to lead to some valleys. The second part of that book ends. says, but I'm with you to the end of the age. Every single step you go, whether it's the mountaintop or whether it's the valley, he is with us. No matter what experience we're going through, he never leaves us. And I love those bookends. Now, the, the, the reason why I wanted to dive into this text um, isn't just, just to look at what we are all commissioned to do, but it is also um, a thank you that I have the opportunity to be able to live out the Great Commission with each and every one of you. That we get to meet with Jesus on the mountain, and we get to go and do ministry together. And so... Um, I'm often known as, as the more emotional one, so if I am try my best, I practice as I was going through the sermon to not tear up and to not have to take a pause or anything, but I'm not going to make any promises because what I want to tell you today is a story, and I love telling stories, but there's a story, there's something that happened several weeks ago, um, is that my sons, Caleb and Caden, prayed to receive Christ several weeks ago, and it was an amazing, amazing opportunity, something that we'd prayed for, something I've told people in this church that, that since they were born, I'd prayed that they would come to know who Jesus Christ is at a young age, and it was something that, that they had to do. It's something that, that I couldn't do for them. It's something their mother couldn't do for them, and that's what we're looking at today is that disciples, they're not born. My children were born unto me, and I'm their caretaker, but them being a disciple wasn't ingrained in them at birth. It is something that is made in them through going and through the teaching. And it's why I love the Great Commission, because we get to stand on the shoulders of saints that have come before us. So church, do you want to know the story about my sons? Because I love telling it. I already broke the promise to myself, so here we go. So... The story of my sons coming to know who Jesus Christ is didn't start a few weeks ago at the dinner table. It started way before that. It started in AD 30 when Jesus took our sin on the cross. He was buried and he rose on the third day, a resurrected king. Fifty days later, after Jesus was resurrected, after he's given this great commission to his disciples, Peter preaches his first sermon and he reaches 3,000 people. AD 31, Stephen is preaching the gospel and the crowd turns on him and they stone him and he's known as our first martyr and he's killed for his faith. AD 34, Saul, who's holding the coats of the people who are stoning Stephen, has a transformational moment, and he is turned from Saul into Paul, and he becomes the world's greatest missionary. A.D. 44, Herod has James the Apostle killed. Peter is imprisoned, and the church moves out of persecution from Jerusalem to Antioch. 
Paul and Barnabas, in this time period, they go on their first missionary journey, journey, and then they continue to go on a couple more missionary, Paul goes on a couple more missionary journeys, and he takes the gospel uh, to Galatia and Ephesus. He's later arrested in Jerusalem. He's shipwrecked on the island of Malta, and God is glorified through the valley of Paul having to, to face persecution. Two years after that, he's in Rome, and Nero orders Paul to be beheaded. AD 80, Christianity starts to make its way into Europe, and it makes its way to France. AD 100, you start to see Christians uh, being made in Algeria. 50 years after that, in Morocco and in Portugal. AD 174, you see it in Austria, Belgium, and Christianity makes its way to Switzerland. AD 328, you see the first Christians in Ethiopia. AD 595, Pope Gregory I commissions Augustine to go to England. And in his first year of ministry in England, 10,000 people are baptized. AD 635, the first Christian missionaries that we know of are sent to China. AD 740, Irish monks take the gospel into Ireland. And in AD 900, missionaries reach Norway. In 1200, the Bible is now translated into roughly 22 languages. In 1491, Christians make their way to the African Congo and a church is planted in Angola. And around this same time, you see the first Christians um, in Kenya, who we now support missionaries. And, and I have the opportunity to lead trips to Kenya where the first Christians in 1491... 1492, Pope Alexander commissions Columbus to bring priests to him to the New World on his second trip. 1517, Martin Luther posts his 95 Thesis and that the the Protestant Reformation is born and that we start to realize that we have direct connection with God himself. 1531, Juan de Padilla starts his missionary work in Mexico City who eventually makes his way to Kansas where he's killed for his faith. In 1550, French Protestants are sent to Brazil. 1640, Jesuits reach the Caribbean. And the church is expanded. 1730, this is the Great Awakening. We have great evangelists like Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield. And around the same time, during this, uh, th- this Great Awakening, Thomas Pollitt, who lives in Liverpool, England, makes his way from Liverpool to Baltimore, Maryland and establishes a new life in the new world. It's pretty neat. I'm really glad that my families are gi- they're giant nerds and they've traced our, our lineage back this far. Eventually, my family makes their way to, Eastern Kentucky, or to northern Kentucky. Along the way, planning and building churches, there's a church in Maysville, Kentucky, where my family still does their, their family reunions, and we support that church there. That my great-great-great-grandfather's set in those pews. In 1982, I was born. 2010, I meet Natalie, who ends up being the um, person that has discipled and invested in me the most. She's my Barnabas. She encourages me extremely well. Extremely well. 2013, 
we come to Gateway Community Church as the youth pastors. We spend a few years in that ministry, and then the Great Commission calls me to do something different. And I step into the discipleship pastor role, and for the first year, I did not do it well. It was a struggle. It was a major struggle for me. But it didn't stop me from going, because God is still God in the valley. 2015, my twins are born. This becomes their church family. This is all they know. That I have the opportunity to disciple my children and pray that I do it well, but this church comes beside of me. And that they've had teachers year after year in the children's ministry of this church discipling them because of the Great Commission. Through this time, they have family, they have grandparents, they have aunts, and they have uncles who know the Lord and love him well. And they live out the Great Commission the way that they go and they teach the gospel to not only their children, but their nephews, their nieces. Again, this church family rallies around one another and has taken an active part in the discipleship of my children. Two thousand twenty-one. They're sitting at the dinner table. And they ask their mom if they can pray to receive Christ into their heart. This is a great day for me. Again, I get to get all these tears out at eight o'clock service, so I apologize. Nine thirty and eleven, hopefully be dried up. They asked their mom before they eat dinner if they could pray to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I'm walking out the door. I'd just gotten home, walking out the door to go do something else for the Great Commission. And Natalie pulls me back into the house and I have the opportunity to pray with my boys. And that prayer fulfilled that they'd come to know who Jesus Christ is at a young age. But we stand on the shoulders of the saints who come before us. So again, disciples aren't born. They're made. And without those saints that have come before us, that met with the Lord on the mountain, and understand that he's with them in the valleys, to see the Great Commission lived out is a great joy. And so I want to share that story with you guys today because the story of my sons, the story of me, and the story of each and every one of you coming to know who Jesus Christ is, isn't just somebody told me. We stand on the shoulders of the saints. And God is good. And he is at work. Now here's the thing. The church is probably under more pressure than I've ever seen in my entire lifetime. But when you look back and you see where the church had come from and the great joy that the church has had to be able to multiply and to grow, it's always grown in times of immense pressure. And that we're facing a time right now where there are battle lines being drawn, when there's division that is among us. And there's great pressure put on the church. And it's my belief, and because you can ask 
Blake, I'm, I'm the ultimate optimist. But whenever I see the church being put under pressure, I can't wait to see what the diamond is that it produces. So where you think things might be dire, God is still at work because he's still God and he's with us to the end of the age. He's also with us in the valley. And so now I want to dive into this text a little bit. And so again, in verse 16, it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And so this is significant because, like I said, this is the first part of the bookend uh, of this section of Scripture that establishes everything of who Jesus Christ is and what we are called to do. A lot of times when we look at the Great Commission, we focus on the go part. And when we talk about our missionaries and the different uh, ministries that we support and through those things, we, we focus on the go. But there's so much in each and every one of these verses that establish who we are supposed to be as disciples. This makes us who we are. And so we meet with Jesus at the mountain, and we have an experience unlike any other. And in verse 17, it says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. So I love this. So so here they are, they meet with the king. And what's the reasonable response to to being in the face of royalty, to being in the face of the king? A A reasonable response is for us to worship him. And the thing that dictates our worship is for us to have the realization of how much he's forgiven us for. So our reasonable response is to worship him with everything that we are. One of the things that I love about coming to church in Charlotte, I'm going to pick on you a little bit. I love to be able to sit around you when, when it's Sunday morning and we're worshiping. But the thing that stands out to me most is that those that have joy in, in their worship, and I'm not just talking about things that happen here, but the way that you worship Jesus Christ outside of this building as well. It's people that have a full comprehension of the lengths that Jesus has gone to and the amount of forgiveness he's poured on you. So it, it, Charlotte, it's obvious to me that you fully understand that, that, that you are forgiven over and over again, and it brings joy. It's a joy for me to be able to see that. So the more forgiveness that you've received, the more passionate worshiper you become. The more passionate worshiper you become. In the second part of verse 17, it says, When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now, this isn't doubted like, I don't believe that this is Jesus. He was resurrected. He's dead. I don't believe this. This doubt comes from a place that I can't believe that the king is with me. Our reasonable response to the king is we worship him. And so their reasonable response, the 11 disciples' reasonable response was they, they were worshiping, but it says some doubted. It said, I, couldn't, I can't believe that I'm the presence of the king. I can't believe that he would choose me. And I have that response. There are times in my ministry, there are times in my life when my reasonable response is to fully worship him with everything that I am. But there are also times in my ministry where my reasonable response is, what does he see in me? What does he see in, in this guy? But again, church, if you don't leave here with anything else, what you don't understand, your reasonable response is to worship him fully. And that the more forgiveness that you've received, the more battles that you have faced, and you allow God's forgiveness to pour over you, the more passionate worshipers we become. In verse 18, 
says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So I, I love this verse. But again, we look over these things so many times when we're talking about the Great Commission that we focus on the go and we focus on the teach and we focus on the, the baptism. But what Jesus is doing is establishing exactly who he is. So he's going to give them a command to go and baptize into all these nations, leading people to Christ, teaching them, letting them know who the king is so that they can have a reasonable response of worship to him. But before he does that, he lets them know all authority has been given to me. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given. That's all of it. So here's the thing that I want to tell you, and I want to dive into this for a few minutes. The thing that stops Christians from pursuing Christ the way that we're called to pursue them is most likely and is typically guilt and shame. I know that because that's what stops me from stepping in to what God is calling me to do often, especially early on in my ministry. Guilt and shame are lies from Satan, and they will stop you from pursuing Christ the way that he's called you. But here's Jesus Christ saying, all authority on heaven and in earth is given to me. So here's the deal. If he is the ultimate authority holder and we worship him passionately, we start to realize the enemy has no power. So if the enemy doesn't have any power, what does the enemy resort to in order to stop you from pursuing Christ fully? In order for you to to stop pursuing this great commission? The enemy uses deceit every single time. They don't have any, the enemy has no power whatsoever, so the enemy resorts to deception. And I fall into it all the time. The 11 disciples were falling into the deception of the enemy. We're like, I can't believe I'm in, I, I'm, I'm in the presence of the king. I can't believe that he would choose me. And here Christ follows up and says, all authority is given to me. All power is given to me. So you don't have to fall into the path of deception. Because all authority is mine. And okay, church, here's how that works. Here's how that authority really works in our everyday life. Scripture tells us to pray without ceasing, right? Y'all know that? Get a nod or something, thumbs up, amen. Pray without ceasing, right? The enemy convinces us, instead of seeking the Lord, says go talk to somebody else. Oh, you're having a challenge? Let's go see how many people you can talk to. It's deception. If the enemy can stop us from pursuing the Lord and going to Him, he's going to do it. He has no power, so he resorts to deception. The enemy tells us when we have a a quarrel, when we have an argument, when we have a frustration with a fellow brother or sister, the enemy tells us, let's go talk behind their back. Let's go share that with somebody else. But Scripture tells us to approach them in love and talk it out. So where Scripture says to do something the right way, the enemy, since it has no power, resorts to deception and tells us to do the other. So in order to fully live out the Great Commission, it's not just going to the ends of the earth. It's understanding as we're going the fullness and authority that Jesus Christ has over our lives, and that should bring us such great comfort. That all authority 
is his. And that the enemy only resorts to deception. So church, I'm begging you, as you leave this place today, whatever lies Satan is telling you this week, whatever lies Satan is telling you today, you're not good enough, church doesn't matter, those people don't love you, this dream is too big, God's not really with you, if he's really there, why do bad things happen? He's going to use deceit over and over again, but we're blessed to be standing on the shoulders of the saints that came before us. Because of those saints, we have this text and this scripture that we go back to and we draw um, a clear line in the sand that Jesus Christ has all authority over us and that the enemy has no power. My favorite verse in scripture is Romans 8.28. It says that God works all things to the good of those who follow him and called according to his purpose. And we see that because of Jesus Christ's authority that he has in heaven and on earth. And so what he's saying is that that whatever happens, whatever valley we're going through, whatever mountaintop experience that we have, whatever happens, Christ has the authority. And it works out for his good and our benefit. No matter how hard of the situation is, it works out for his glory and our benefit. You know, we see these lies again over and over where Scripture says, give thanks to the Lord for he is what? He's good. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. But instead, what the enemy tries to convince us to do is to complain. Whatever happens to us, we're, he's, he's going to deceive us. He says, don't give thanks to the Lord even when you're in the midst of this valley. The Lord doesn't love you. Just complain about it. Let's find those people that will hear us and, and, and complain. And that's the enemy using deception. But what Scripture says Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. In all things, give thanks to the Lord. So in order for us to live out the Great Commission, we have to fully understand the authority that is given to Jesus Christ. In verse 19, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Holy Spirit. And so what this go means is this Jesus Christ telling his disciples and then the disciples that came after them and this giant lineage of the church that we just went through a few minutes ago, what he is saying is I have a purpose for you. Jesus Christ has a purpose for each and every one of us. And without that purpose being fulfilled, we don't have the opportunity to stand on the shoulders of the saints. My boys don't have the opportunity to come to know who Jesus Christ is because of your faithfulness, church. He tells us to go. And so what I want to look at is what does that go look like for you? Again, oftentimes we preach this text and it's go and let's support this missionary in China. Let's go support this missionary in Africa. But all of us have been given the Great Commission. It's part of our lineage. It's part of our heritage. These 11 disciples heard about Jesus Christ's authority. They worshipped Him. Some doubted. They couldn't believe that they were choosing Him. And He establishes His authority and says, I have all authority in, in heaven and on earth. And the enemy has no power. He resorts to deception. Don't buy 
buy into his lies, and if you don't buy into his lies, I'm going to send you out, and you're going to go, and you're going to make disciples, and you're going to baptize them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and that looks different for every single one of us. So church, the question that I want to ask you right now is when you leave this place here in a few minutes, and I'm almost done, I'm almost wrapped up, but when you leave this place today, what is your go? What is God calling you to? And here's the deal. There's great opportunities in this church for going right here. If it wasn't for the children's ministry and Stephanie and her team stepping into the Great Commission and going, my boys might not know who Jesus Christ is right now. Because of their willingness to go, my daughter Carly will have the opportunity to not only hear about the truth of the gospel from me, but get to hear it about other saints that love them dearly. So what's your go? There's a few people in this church that I love to be able to support them and hear their go. One of them is the Penrose family, Mike and Kim, and their willingness. That Kim came to me a few months ago and says, I, I, just, I really have this, this desire to do more ministry at the food pantry, so maybe we can provide coffee and prayer and an opportunity for people to learn who Jesus Christ is. And that was her go. I got to be her Barnabas. I just got to encourage her. It's like, go for it. I'll buy all the coffee you need. What's your go? Alex and Melanie McLaughlin have this, this intense desire for everybody that comes across their path for them to know who Jesus Christ is. They lead their connect group well with, with this desire to, to let others know who he is. Their go is to let every single neighbor in their neighborhood know who Jesus Christ is. And they ask the simple question, just how can I pray for you? I have stories over and over and over again of your willingness to go and how it's benefited me and how it's benefited my family and how it's benefited your family. And again, church, part of being in the church is that we, we, we face valleys and we get to face them together, but Christ is with us to the end of the age. In verse 20, it says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I love that, that, that bookend of this section of Scripture. We meet with them on the mountain. We go and we experience the valley, but God is still good, and we don't fall into deceit of Satan telling us we're not good enough, we can't do this, or don't dive into Scripture, or, 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 or don't know the full impact of who, who Jesus is on your life. But instead, we go, and we're rooted in Scripture. We're rooted in truth. And we let other people know who Jesus Christ is, and we have the opportunity to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And every single step of the way, we have a Savior that He says, I'm with you. I'm with you. Keep going, church. Keep going, church. And then, then from 80-30, all through history. And again, this was established in Genesis from the beginning of time. He said, I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm with you. Don't trust the enemy. Be rooted in my word. I'm with you. you say, but Lord, yeah. I'm facing illness, but Lord, I'm facing struggle, but Lord, my marriage is on the rocks, but Lord, I, I, I don't feel confident enough. And every single response is, I'm with you. I'm with you to the end of the age. Our reasonable response is to worship the king. And that worship calls us off the mountain 
and into the valley. So we teach people to observe all these things, and we understand that God is with us. So there's two things that I want to look at real quick as we close. And as a church, there, there are two ways that we live out this Great Commission. We, we do it um, collectively. We see um, ministries pop up like our children's ministry, our youth ministry, and, and that they're living out the, the Great Commission well. We see ministries like Regeneration, that this church has a heart for all of us that are broken. And it's, it's all of us. But our desire is that every single person is facing addiction, a facing, a facing struggle, and that brokenness consumes their life, that they can come to know who Jesus Christ is. And Chris Stovall and his leaders lead that ministry so well. We have re-engaged where Kevin and Sarah Ron have a deep desire and a passion for marriages to be restored, renewed, and strengthened so that the Great Commission can be lived out not only in us individually, but in the marriages that we see in our community. There's valleys when you face a ministry like that. But God is with us to the end of the age. We have ministries that, that, that like Foster Love, that's started by Valerie Henson and, and a few other people in this church, that to make sure some of the most vulnerable in our community are taken care of and are loved extremely well because of who Jesus Christ is and the authority that he has. So again, individually, I see the Great Commission lived out in people like Kim and Alex and Melanie and all my connect group leaders and every children's volunteer and worship volunteer. Uh, there's, there's ministries that exist outside of this church that our church members are a part of and that they are living out the Great Commission. They understand what their go is. So if you don't know what your go is today, church, there's three things I'm going to ask you to do. Here's how you live out the Great Commission. I'm asking and I'm begging you to be fearless this week. If you have to face some hard conversations, I, I pray that you'll face those with fearlessness because the devil will tell you to, to push against those things. But Christ tells us not to fear. He says the birds of the air, they have their nests, the foxes have their holes. He, take, he says, I, if I take care of these animals, wouldn't I take care of you as well? Scripture tells us to be fearless because we know who has the authority. Second thing, church, that I want to ask you to do is I want you to love unconditionally. I want you to show hospitality not only to the people that you like, but those that you might call enemies. I want you to love them unconditionally this week. I want you to show hospitality, a mark of a disciple, year after year after year after year for these 2,000 years is people willing to be uncomfortable and show hospitality in places that the world says shouldn't exist. And we stand on the shoulders of the saints who did this before us. The last thing, church, that I'm asking you to do this week is to go and share your faith. And I know what a lot of you are thinking is like, I can't do that. I can't just start talking and have a gospel conversation. What I'm asking you to do, church, is when you come across somebody that you don't know, ask them how you can pray for them and see where that conversation goes. In all my years of having a heart for evangelism and talking to people about the gospel, when I ask them if I can pray for them, I've never had anybody spit in my face and say, no, I don't want you to pray for me. How dare you ask me that question? I've had people say, no, I'm good. And I pray for them anyway. But I've never had anybody reject, totally reject me for asking if I can pray for them. So church, I want you to be fearless this week. 
Church, I want you to love unconditionally this week. And church, I want you to share your faith. And that's our go. So as we, we, we close out today, our reasonable response is that we worship the King in fullness and that we understand the depths that Jesus loves us and the forgiveness that we have. So on the screen here in a minute, there's going to be a phone number. And you text response to that number. If you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ today, please let us know. If you need anything, just how, however you need to respond today, please let us know. The other thing that I want to tell you again as we close here in a few minutes, I'm going to be in the Next Step Center. And I want you to know, church, I need your prayers. I have some tough conversations to have this week, and I need to be fearless, so I covet your prayers. There's people that I'm going to be interacting with this week that I need to love better than I've loved previously. So pray for me that I'm hospitable and I show unconditional to love even to those that haven't shown the love I'm supposed to. So church, I covet your prayers. There's people I come in contact with daily and I have the opportunity to ask, how can I pray for you? It's a new barbecue place that I, in downtown Wiley that I went to lunch with a friend and I asked the owner, how can I pray for you? So church, join me this week in praying that, that his business succeeds and it can be a beacon of light for Jesus Christ. So church, I covet your prayers and here's the thing. I want to pray for you. So what's your response to the Great Commission today? And I want to hear, so please, church, if you want to respond, you want me to pray with you, I'm going to be in the Next Step Center. But also, my email is stephen at gatewayonline.org. Email me. Let me know the things that I can pray for you. My phone number is 469-667-4496. Call up to the church. They'll give you my cell phone number. Text me where you need to be fearless. Text me where you need to show love. Text me who you need to share your faith with. And please allow me to join you. And please join in me in praying for these things. But church, our reasonable response is to worship the King fully. Let's pray. Lord, I come before you today. I thank you so much for the opportunity. We get to look at the saints that came before us and how it leads directly to us knowing who you are. And so, Lord, I, I pray over those that are in this room right now. I pray over those that are watching from home that as they step out of this place today, that they go forth and that they serve you and they go and they make disciples in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, baptizing them in your name. Lord, I thank you for meeting us on the mountaintop and being with us in the valley. And Lord, I pray. Lord, I pray we are fearless this week because of who you are. Lord, I pray we show love unconditional, that we are hospitable because of you being hospitable to us. Lord, I pray for the people that are going to come to know who Jesus Christ is through the simple question of how can I pray for you. So again, Lord... I pray you bless our response in worshiping you today. In Jesus' name, amen.